Well, today I want to try to get Judges chapter 17 and 18 in you. Um, That's my aim. That's my prayer. And uh, let's just be real. It might be the only day of 2024. It might be the only day of the decade of the 2020s that you think about Judges 17 and 18. Maybe in your Bible reading plan, you've already fallen off the rails and you're not going to make it to Judges. And maybe you don't do Bible reading plans, and this decade you'll never find those stuck-together pages early in your Bible in Judges 17 and 18. But you do have just a few minutes to think about a really, really important conclusion to one of the darkest books in the Bible. This is the first of two conclusions. Judges 17 and 18, conclusion one. Every man does what's right in his own eyes, therefore the family and the church is corrupt. Conclusion two. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. Therefore, all of society is corrupt. That's next week's sermon. Today is about the family, your house. What's your street number? What's your address? Don't say it out loud. I'm talking about that house. Wherever you live, whether you're single, married, family, kids, whatever. Your address and this church. Judges 17 and 18 has a lot to say to us. So I want to try to get it in you. And I know I just got one little opportunity here, so I'm going to do my best to get it in you three times. I want to read you the story in God's words. I'll just read it. You try to follow along in your Bible, whether we have the same translation or not. Number two, I'm going to tell you the story in my words. And then number three, I'm going to summarize the story again in my own words. Round number one, you're in the woods, in the mountains, north of Jerusalem. It's called the hill country of Ephraim. And you're at a really nice retirement home at a very wealthy family's house. Micah and his mom, who at one point had 1,100 pieces of spare silver, but he stole it. And then she got it back. But for her to have that much money, she's got a nice house. It's in the woods, it's in the mountains, and let's go there. Judges chapter 17, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Follow along as best you can. Eyes closed and focus on my words. Eyes open, focus on your Bible, whatever helps you. Don't distract your neighbor. This is the voice of the living God. Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver's with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image. And they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. Verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
Verse 7, now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite, and he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he might find a place, and he made, and as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. Verse 9, Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. I'm going to stay wherever I might find a place. Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your maintenance. And the Levite went in. Verse 11, the Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as a priest. Chapter 18, in those days, there was no king of Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in. For until that day, an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Ashtol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, go search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And lodged there, verse 3, when they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite. And they turned aside there and said to him, who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? And he said to them, thus and so has Micah done to me. And he has hired me and I've become his priest. Verse 5, and they said to him, inquire of God, please that we may know whether our way on which we are going will be prosperous. The priest said to them, Go in peace. Your way in which you're going has the Lord's approval. Verse 7, Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were in it, living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. For there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land, and they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. When they came back to their brothers at Zorah and Ashtal, their brothers said to them, what do you report? Verse 9, they said, arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it's very good, and will you sit still? Do not delay to go to enter to possess the land. When you enter, you will come to a secure people with a spacious land, for God has given it into your hand, a place where there's no lack of anything that is on the earth. Verse 11, then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah, from Eshtal, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out. They went up and camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore, they called the place Mahane-Dan to this day. Behold, it's west of Kiriath-Jerim. They passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who went to spout the country of Laish said to their kinsmen, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and household idols and a graven image and a molten image? Now therefore, consider what you should do. Verse 15, they turned aside there and came to the house 
of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah and asked him of his welfare. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war who were of the sons of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spout the land went up and entered there and took the graven image and the ephod and household idols and the molten image while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. Verse 18. When these went into Micah's house and took the graven image, the ephod and the household idols and the molten image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They said to him, be silent, put your hand over your mouth, come with us, be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be the priest to a tribe and to a family in Israel? Verse 20, the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the household idols and the graven image and went among the people. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the valuables in front of them. When they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. Then they cried to the sons of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you've assembled together? He, that's Micah said, verse 24, you've taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you've gone away. And what do I have besides? So how can you say to me, what's the matter with you? Verse 25, the sons of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, or else fierce men will fall upon you, and you will lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way. When they, and, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned back and went to his house. Verse 27, And they took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and came to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, struck them with the edge of the sword. They burned the city with fire. There was no one to deliver them, because it was far from Sidon. They had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley which is near Beth Rahab. They re rebuilt the city and lived in it. Verse 29, they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city was formerly Laish. Then the sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. Verse 31, so they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. Could you retell me that story? There's so much detail in it, but do you just have the big picture in mind? Well, I just want to ask God to help us as we try to just put the story together. I'm going to retell it to you in my own words. I'm going to add some application and a little bit of color from some other passages of Scripture as I retell you the story. And then I'm going to summarize it for you again. After I do that, I've got a few words of application. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we ask now, you take the passage we've read. Your words are way better than mine. My summary is not going to be as good as what you said. I do pray that as we talk through this text, 
and bring application from it to our lives, to this church, to our families. That You would be gracious to us and spare us from doing what's right in our own eyes. Forgive us, God, for even using You for self-centered purposes. Forgive us for taking the name of the Lord in vain. Forgive us for setting up idols right in the middle of our home and our family and our churches and worshiping something other than God. Forgive us for building our cities and our congregations around anything other than Christ. Would you help us now to see what you want us to see in this passage and apply it to our lives so that we can walk with Jesus in the joy and the satisfaction of living in the light, fellowship with you, fellowship with one another around your Son. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'm just going to try to retell you the story, and after I do that, then I'm going to try to summarize the story, then a few words of application. So in chapter 17, we meet this man named Micah. He comes from a wealthy family. We know that because he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom. Micah's name means, who is like Yahweh? Who is like the Lord? That's Micah. Who is like the Lord? Well, because she pronounced a curse on whoever stole her money, Micah confessed to his mom that he stole it. And he was very happy to return it. But it appears that his motivation, at least according to the passage, had nothing to do with the fear of God. He was just really sorry he got caught. And he didn't like the fact that whoever stole the money had a curse pronounced upon them. So they're probably, um, you know, spiritists, animistic, pagan religion people. They're just pronouncing these magic hexes and curses and spiritual seances on people. It's nothing biblical and God-honoring. It's not that kind of curse. And he didn't want that. And because they did not fear God, but practiced that form of ancient magic, to revoke the curse, the mom said, oh, I'll pronounce a blessing. So she did that. And then she devoted 200 of the 1,100 pieces of silver to a silversmith to make them, voila, a new God. And they would worship that. And then in verse 5 of chapter 17, as a token of his own appreciation, Micah added to his idolatrous shrine an ephod. That's like a breastplate, like kind of two shoulder harnesses that would go over the front and it had some different precious jewels in it. It's something that priests would wear when they went into the temple, especially to the Holy of Holies, to perform their sacred duty. So Micah thought, oh, I'll make one of those too in 17.5. And then added to his ephod, he got out into his shop and he just carved a few more idols to go along with the shrine and the silversmith's idol. This is a very religious family. 
and a very lost family. And the main point of the passage is 17.6 and 18.1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. 17.6 gives us the refrain, therefore, every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the main point. What does it look like when you get to do whatever you want to do? It looks like idolatry, paganism, God-forsakenness, God-belittling worship. So in 17, 7 through 13, the end of chapter 17, we're introduced to somebody else. It's not Micah and his newly minted son priest worshiping at their little family shrine in the living room. It's this young man who came from Bethlehem. He's a Levite. He's a priest. But now here he is, he's left Bethlehem, and he's sojourning, wandering about through the hill country of Ephraim. The hill country of Ephraim, as I mentioned a minute ago, was this wooded, mountainous area north of Jerusalem. And as he's wandering about through the hill country of Ephraim, he stumbles up to the door of Micah. He shouldn't have been there. He actually shouldn't have even been in Bethlehem. Because we know from other passages of Scripture that he's, uh, this passage tells us he's a son of Gershom, son of Moses. Those people were allotted ten towns. The Levites of that particular subset were allotted ten towns in Ephraim. But instead of giving those Levites a place to live, as all the tribes were commanded to do, Israel had ignored God so much that they let their spiritual leaders live homeless, vagabonds, wandering about trying to find food and shelter. And so this man is ready to sell his soul to anybody that will just give him room and board. Verses 9 through 11, it's what he does. This young Levite sells himself and his services to Micah. For ten pieces of silver a year, a tunic, suit of clothes, room and board. You feed me, you lodge me, I'll be your personal priest. And in verses 12 to 13, he became like a family member to Micah, and he held their family devotions before their family idols. And the conclusion of chapter 17 is this really religious house. I mean, they got religious mantras all over the walls, little pictures and paintings. They got a shrine set up in the living room, idols all over it. They're probably burning incense so much that it'll make you nauseous. And the result is Micah says, well, duh, look how spiritual we are. I know the Lord will prosper me because now... I even have a Levite as my priest. 17.13. That's the story of Judges 17. Before I tell you the story of Judges 18, just a few comments to try to orient our heart and mind a little bit to understand the moment. I told you Micah's name means who is like Yahweh. But he's so ignorant of Yahweh, the one true God. He's so ignorant of God's good word that he thinks he's going to be more blessed the more he forsakes the Lord in his idolatrous worship. There's a lot of people like that. 
I mean, you will not have to search far and wide to find somebody who will say to you, God told me so. The narrator of Judges is showing us that the people were so disengaged with God that they actually thought more idolatry would lead to more of God's blessing. I know the Lord's going to prosper me because guess what? I paid one of his boys to be my priest. He's broken so many of the commandments. He didn't honor his father and mother. He stole from them. That's the breaking of another commandment. He broke another commandment, which is not making for yourself an idol in the likeness of God. And he broke the first commandment, not having any other gods before God. He's an idolater down to his core. Remember, Judges is showing us something. Big picture of the whole book of Judges, not just 17 and 18, though it's in kind of hyper-color, vivid, three-dimensional here. Judges is showing us that indulging in sin decomposes our soul. Sin has a deteriorating effect on your inner man. The more you delve into it, the deeper entangled in it you become. That's the seven cycles of the book of Judges that we looked at last week. One popular Bible teacher who disqualified himself from ministry through scandalous sin said sin will take you far, farther than you want to go. Sin will keep, your, keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. When Micah fessed up about stealing his mom's money, probably as I suggested, because he was fearing the curse, not fearing God, he was then commissioned to use that money to make godless idols in the name of the Lord. That's taking God's name in vain, therefore breaking another commandment. It was spiritual deception of the highest rank. Do you think they thought they were displeasing God? No! They were deceived. They thought God was going to be more happy with them. Just go read the last verse of chapter 17. I know God's going to bless me now. They even bought a preacher who would come and lie to them about God. Is there anyone today living wherever they want? Micah, Levite, we're about to get the Danites. Building everything in their lives around creature comforts and convenience. And voila, guess what? God will orbit His whole existence around you too. You just keep self right at the center. And if you want Jesus to be one of the planets in your solar system, just add Him whenever you want Him. Like He'll just serve your purposes also. I mean, he'll bow down and call you God. You, get, you want Jesus? Sure, use him when you need him. He'll be out there. Find a preacher who will, as we saw in our last sermon series, pastoral epistles, just tickle your ears. Say whatever you want to hear. Is it possible that in today's current cultural climate in our land, is it possible that we might be surrounded by people who profess faith, but at the center of it all is self. Including their religion and all their religious words and trinkets. 
Their God never requires them to actually deny their self. Their God never requires them to consider others more important than their own self. Not even God more important than their own self. They get to center self. Live with self, feed self, pamper self, sleep with self, and Jesus just comes along for the ride. It is so easy to do that and even find preachers who will move in and tell you how awesome you are. How convenient. Micah was living in the day of the false prophets, who Ezekiel said will say, peace, peace, don't worry about it. God loves you. You're doing great when there's no peace. That's chapter 17. I'm going to tell you chapter 18, and then I'm going to summarize it all in just a couple paragraphs and a few words of application. Chapter 18 begins with the narrator reminding us the main point. In those days, there's no king in Israel. So in verses 1 to 6, just like the Levite was wandering around aimlessly looking for a place to lodge, room and board, anybody who would pay him, he would tell them whatever they wanted to hear. So also the Danites, an entire tribe, homeless. Why? Because Judges chapter 1, verse 34 tells us they failed, the Danites failed to drive out the inhabitants of the allotment of the land God had given them. It's their own sin. So the Danites just said, oh, we got a good idea. Let's get five special forces warriors, five military men to go search out and find us a place to live. And as they're wandering about, they too make their way to, surprise, surprise, the hill country of Ephraim, and more specifically to the house of Micah, and they hear this young priest talking, and like, man, that accent sounds like it. We recognize your voice. Where are you from? What are you doing here? Why are you in this place? What do you have here? And the little priest boy says, hey, I'm here because Micah hired me. I've become his priest, 18.4. The Danite said, man, have we got a deal for you? First, tell us if God's going to bless us on our journey to find a place for our tribe to live. And the priest's like, of course he will. There's no indication he inquires of God, that he fears the Lord, that he's telling the truth. He lied to Micah about God. Now he just lied to all these people about God too. Levite says in verse 6 of chapter 18, absolutely, you'll succeed. God said so. The narrator of Judges is wanting us to keep in mind this refrain through everything we're reading. No king, make it up as you go in every area of your life, including spiritually. I mean, you and Jesus can have a secret handshake. Just, you get to be a buddy with God. Whatever you think he'll like, just be assured he'll agree with you. You don't have to care about all the stuff he said and stuff he wrote. Just make it up as you go. Of course you're going to succeed. God's going to bless you. Why wouldn't he bless you? I mean, let's be real. God is lucky to have somebody like you on his team. What was he doing all this time without you? I mean, surely he was bored without a friend like you. Do whatever feels right. Just tack a really solid God told me so to the end of it and it's all going to end well. 
This is how mantras can function among us, right? Say a sentence, put Lord willing on the end of it. We'll sound a little more spiritual for it. It's a good thing to say if we understand James, the New Testament book that commands us to live under the sovereignty and providence of God, submitting ourselves to Him. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that tomorrow. It's a way of reminding ourselves that we're submitted to another. We have a sovereign. It's not spiritual pixie dust that we just sprinkle over our life to sound a little more religious. Micah's young priest would be a really, really popular preacher today. So in verses 17 to 20, chapter 18, the Danites say, great news, we're going to succeed, let's go. A few verses later, they're defeated by those who lived in the houses around Micah. Not totally annihilated, but pushed back a little bit. In verse 11, 600 of their soldiers, when they set out to capture the land, that's when they get defeated by Micah's neighbors. And then Micah shows up and says, hey, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where did all my gods go? Where did all my idols go? Where's my ephod? Where's my shrine? Where's my graven image? Where's my that We paid 200 pieces of silver for that silversmith to make us a new idol. Who do you guys think you are to take my idols? And the soldiers in verse 19 say, stop asking us questions. And they even say to the priest, after they tell Dan, uh, Micah, go back to your house or we'll kill you and all your people. And Micah realizes he's no match for them, so he goes back. And they say to his priest, hey man, you want more money with a bigger church? Come with us. And the Levite says, great idea. Let me just grab some more idols and I'll jump in the car and I'll go with you. And then finally, the last 10 verses of chapter 18. The mighty brave soldiers put the kids and the cows and the fancy cars up front in their caravan. They lose that battle that I just mentioned. Verse 24 How dare you ask me what's the matter with you? Uh, sorry, I've, I've told you that part. Let me skip ahead. I got lost in my own notes. The Danite soldiers, after taking Micah's priest and his idols, rally themselves again and they go defeat Laish, an unarmed people. They destroy them, they burn their city. You can tell this happens over a long period of time because then they rebuild the city. And once they've got their new suburb set up in the mountains, little retirement community, right in the middle of town, they set something up. Verse 30, a graven image. Micah's idol. They put it right in the middle so they can all worship it a little more conveniently. And then they hire some more preacher boys. They get Jonathan, some other young guys from Manasseh. And those priests keep telling the Danites whatever they want to hear. Verse 30 says, until God takes them captive. But as far as the Danites could tell in verse 31, they were in no danger at all. Not from men and not from God. 
Everything looked really good to them. New house, in the mountains, new church plant, plenty of preachers, shiny, freshly polished graven image right in the center to prove that they were really all about worship. They were really spiritual people. Everybody, just come take a look at their God. All right, that's my effort to tell you the story of my own words. The big idea that the narrator of Judges, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to get is there's no king. Everybody's doing it their own way. One commentary said the point is because humans are unwilling to acknowledge God as God, the same God then allows His creatures to reap the results of their idolatry. You can have whatever you want and call it Christian. That doesn't make it Christian. You can have a home centered around all sorts of idols and graven images. You can have preachers who will affirm you in rank self-centeredness, self-righteousness. They can have very spiritual-sounding names like Micah. You can live in one of the territories that God said he would bless, Ephraim, which by the way is the place when the 12 tribes were allotted that the tabernacle would be, Shiloh. You can be very near to the truth, accumulate for yourself all kinds of spiritual relics and robe priests that will help pamper you in your self-centeredness and self-righteousness and just attach God's name to it. Now that I've told you that story and read you that story, putting the main point right in front of us again, I just want to give a few words of application and I'll be done. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 17.6 My tight summary of the whole thing I've tried to read and say to you, a man named Micah had a shrine to his false gods in his house. Just like a lot of people in the world today. They go into their house as their little empire where they're God. They get to retreat from the world into their domain and exercise their dominion and be their own God. And just like a lot of us, this guy hired, he paid money for somebody to move in with him and lie to him about God. And not long after, some other people offered that preacher more money bigger church so he left him to go lie to them about God and everybody was happy with the situation at the end of Judges 18 because they got to build their whole lives and their whole church around idolatry one of the conclusions of the book of Judges these two chapters and then the passage we'll hear next week at the end of the book I said these two are about the corruption of the family and the church whereas next week is about the corruption of all of society when everybody does what's right in their own eyes we could say it like this as goes the family so goes the church we could even get more specific as go the individuals so go the families so goes the church there's no such thing as a christ-centered church that's not made up of christ-centered people and the book of Judges wants us to see how we can fall into that cycle of spiritual declension 
and soul decay if we try to live without God. We're either going to have the one true God or a God of our own imagination. Notice Micah didn't stop worshiping. He just started worshiping idols. Notice the Danites weren't happy to move around and set up their own camp without an idol, but they put one right in the center of their very brand new city because it's impossible not to worship. We're all worshipers. The question is, what do we worship? The human heart's a worship factory. What is the object of our praise? The problem in the times of the judges was not that the people stopped worshiping, it's that they directed their utmost affection and adoration and praise to a false deity, the wrong God. So what happens to a real Christian? The book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, scales get pulled from our eyes, we see Christ for who He is and for what He's done on our behalf to reconcile us to God. Upon conversion, our eyes are open to the devastating reality that we have up until that point in our life never known the one true God. We've known about Him. We may have been taught a lot of truth that He has said, but relationally, experientially, we've never known Him until the scales are ripped from our eyes. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of the universe, we bow to Him in allegiance only. We submit ourselves to His truth. We understand that up until that point, all of our prayers, all of our songs, all of our Bible words were smuggled into an idolatrous heart that was using God to fuel our paganism. And energize our idolatry. You see, idolatry, God's wanting us to know in verse, uh, chapter 17 and 18. Yeah, it, it was in one little home in chapter 17. It was in one whole tribe in chapter 18. Idolatry is a heart problem. It, it shows up in the hands. We start making little trinkets and idols and worship all kinds of things. It shows up in graven gra images, but those are symptoms of the problem. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes is the problem. It's a heart problem. It's the problem of every lost person. Whatever a non-Christian thinks about God is actually part of that person's idolatry. Idolatry is not only making something God, Micah's trinkets. It's also making God something other than what He is. And if you don't know Him in Christ, you don't know Him. Uh, every man's greatest need, Tozer writes, is a greater view of God. Our problem is that we can't think too lightly of Him and little of Him. And we worship false gods until we meet Him in His Son. My applications, rapid fire, I'll begin with a commentary's summation. What makes the passage even more ironic is the setting. All the action takes place in the hill country of Ephraim. It's there that they carve images and cast idols, make Micah's sons a priest, hiring a wandering Levite to be a priest. 
the whole tribe, Ephraim, the land where all this took place is the place where the tabernacle of Yahweh is located, Shiloh. The irony of this passage is the author, the narrator of Judges, is not saying what is so obviously the case from the previous books, especially Joshua. The tabernacle is like right beside them. The place where God accepts worship is so accessible to them. All they had to do was get out of Micah's paganism, out of the Danites' paganism, and just walk a few paces over, and you'd be at the tabernacle where God accepts praise. That's the point. The exclusivity of Christ. We were talking about in our discipleship class this morning. The one place God accepts worship is the place He sanctioned. That's His Son. The tabernacle represents Jesus. The place where the sacrifice is made. The place where worship ascends to God in a way that's a pleasing aroma in His nostrils. And if you try to worship Him anywhere else, even near to the place that He sanctioned, He's not going to accept it. The Gospel's the only acceptable worship tabernacle. You must hide yourself in Jesus for your praise to be sanctified in a way that will glorify God and satisfy you. God has forbidden, Deuteronomy 13, any worship place other than the one He sanctioned. This is again about the exclusivity of Christ. He's the only, only, only way to please God. The New Testament authors say that without faith, explicitly in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Without faith in Him, it is impossible to please God. doesn't matter how many religious routines or Scripture verses you have on your walls or trinkets you have in your house, angels sitting on your mantle. doesn't matter how spiritual we are. We don't cause our worship to be acceptable. Jesus does. Through Him, then, let us offer a sacrifice of praise, Hebrews says. It's in Him, by Him, through Him, for Him, unto Him that the life of worship uh, God, that pleases God and that He accepts. So our application is smash your idols. Don't coddle your idols. Don't sand them down. Smash them. I've already said that in this passage explicitly, there's at least five of the Ten Commandments violated egregiously. Smash any other gods that are before God. Start in your heart. No graven images. Honoring your father and mother. Not stealing. Smash every idol. Don't take from God that which belongs rightly to Him. Using His name in vain. Surely the Lord will bless Of course God's going to bless you. Why wouldn't He bless you? I mean, look how great you are. That's what the preacher was saying to the Danites and to Micah. Lying in God's name is a great offense to the God of the universe. Smash your idols. Number two, lead your home to Christ. Adults, I say to you and to my own self, whether you're single or married, whoever lives in your house, if you're the responsible party in your household, repent of making your home an empire for self that's sprinkled with a little Christian veneer. I mean, the church has been plagued for a long time. Not our generation, but since she has existed with those who are one thing in the home and another thing in church. Repent 
of being two people duplicitous, especially making your home an empire for yourself, your, your reign, your rule, your law. Families together repent of seeking to center your idols and add a little religious mantra. Jesus had strong things to say about people who honor God with their lips when their heart is very far from Him. Micah's house had family devotions every day, morning and evening. And all of them were displeasing to God. Put Christ first in your home. Say to your children, parents, good news, this house doesn't revolve around you. Better news, it doesn't revolve around me. Christ is the center of this home. Let's build everything around Him. The Joshua life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Finally, this is what I get from chapter 18. The tribe of Dan building a whole city. Brand new, state-of-the-art worship center around a false god. Link your life with a Jesus-loving, Bible-obeying church in the midst of a godless culture. That's God's recipe and preservative against spiritual idolatry. Smash your idols. Lead your home to Christ. Link your life with a Christ-treasuring church. The progression of the passage becomes more apparent the more we read it. In chapter 17, an individual and then a family is dishonoring God. In chapter 18, an entire tribe is dishonoring God. The corruption of the family and the corruption of the church. Do you think Micah knew when he stole 1,100 pieces of silver that it would lead to generations of the Danites worshiping a false god? The corruption of the family leads to the corruption of the church. Repent of centering ourselves in our church, not just our home. I mean, we say it around here a lot, and I wish I could find better ways to say it, but it's okay with us if you didn't get much out of the worship service today because we're not worshiping you. We're not the point. We don't even care if we sing your favorite songs or your favorite style. And, and for what it's worth, I don't think any of us are loving the aesthetics all the time about where we gather. We're not the point. He's the point. New International uh, application commentary said the problems of religious syncretism and spiritual decay have infected the very institution designed to combat these problems. What happened was God wanted the tribes to uphold God to showcase his glory. And the New Testament says that's what the church is about. We're a pillar in support of the truth. Here, people should see more than they can see anywhere else in the world, Christ is preeminent. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the prize. He's the treasure. He's the reward. So Grace Church, we have to repent of anything other than Jesus taking center stage. Judges is the sad story of what happens to every person and every cluster of people and every society of people that seek to live independently of God. Your home, your church may look and sound very religious, but we don't have to wonder if God accepts our praise. We don't have to wonder if our preachers are lying to us. If Christ Jesus Himself is the epicenter, 
His gospel labors, dying for our sins, rising again for our justification. The exalted Jesus holding the place all by himself of preeminence, first place, the object of our faith, our worship. Then God has guaranteed the acceptance of our sacrifice and of our praise and of our worship. But if he's not, there's nothing we can do. There's not enough ceremonies we can hold. There's not enough religious relics we can build to please him. Judges is saying, abhor our way. Repudiate it. Repent from it. Find it empty until we despair of any other option than God's way. God's Son. The cross. May we be a people whose lives are immersed in the one sacrifice He has promised to accept the Savior. I'm going to close with this sentence. I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know if you count yourself a Christian or not. My prayer for you right here and now is that you would flee, you would flee from any hope of ever being made right with God except plunging your soul by faith into the risen Jesus who so loves you That He gave His life to set you free from your sin, yourself. So that you could join Him in the happiest place in the universe. The much-making of God. The exalting of God. The worship of God. Would you give Him your life today? Join me as we pray. Oh Father, I ask that You would take my little effort to summarize and paraphrase and retell the story of Judges 17. And you would go way beyond my words. By your Holy Spirit, would you stab every heart, expose every idol, and cause us to repent from anything and everything that we have set up as the object of our praise, or whatever receives our devotion and cause us instead to join you in being glad in your Son. Submitting to Him, receiving Him, worshiping Him. And cause our homes and our church to be a place where the preeminence of Jesus so beautifully shines. Where we experience His joy, His company, His fellowship, And our lives are the happiest of all because we all share together in the greatest treasure in the universe. 